Well, church, it's so good to be home, back in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And uh, many of you may or may not know, but Fee and I uh, had to duck out and go to England for uh, two Sundays and uh, had a great time there, a very productive time. A few we got to see her parents again, who are getting older. Her father is 90 and uh, wanted to announce that he thought I was Fee's son. <laughs> so there are definitely upsides to dementia, but it was, uh, it was a good time. Oh, my gosh. Oh, isn't this great? It's so, you know, I just walked in here today and I thought, it's not just good to be home, but with your own church family, but just God's here. It doesn't get any better than that. God's here. God's here. I remember the first meeting we ever had here in St. Charles in the Ragamuffin coffee shop. Someone prayed, God, if you don't go before us, we don't want to go. And you know, the Holy Spirit has never left this place. He's never stopped resting here. And as Josh declared about the anointing, and there is an anointing here in the room, I thought, there it really is. The Holy Spirit is here, and his power is real. And uh, just coming back from England and being busy since we landed this week, I thought, Lord, there's so many things stirring. And I'll I'll just tell you what is in my heart. I'm not actually going to speak it today, but I want to talk about... Um, confronting the spirit of accusation. Confronting the spirit of accusation. The enemy, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. And learning not only what we speak, but how, what not to hear. And so I'm going to unpack that another time. But this morning early, just getting up and just being spending time with the Lord, there was a beautiful mist today. And, and uh, I just sat and I thought, God, you're so good. And I just began to write, and then I only wrote like six lines, and I thought, okay, well, Holy Spirit, you're going to need to just help me, because uh, I just feeling what God wants to say this morning in the short time we have left is just to talk about the anointing. And I sat at the back in worship, and Josh started to talk about the anointing. I thought, here we are. God, you're really clever. You know, in Acts chapter 1, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Everyone say, do and teach. Do and teach, do and teach. We don't normally see that pattern, do we? We normally teach and teach and teach and hope that something happens. But the biblical pattern in Acts is what happened. The teaching came after to explain what just happened. So Acts chapter 2 happens and the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter stands up and he says, listen carefully to me. Let me explain this to you. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what Joel prophesied about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Peter begins to teach on what just happened. And so I think there's, there's a sense of, of when God starts to move, someone needs to stand up and explain it. And I think that's really what's on God's heart today, to talk about the anointing, to talk about us, his people, the ecclesia across the earth, carrying the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because we're anointed. Do, do you agree we're anointed? Do, do you? Do you really? Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 61, we'll turn there in a minute, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to 
So when the Holy Ghost comes upon us, it's not just so that we can get goosebumps. It's not just so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's that he has anointed us to something. And then Isaiah then begins to list what we've been anointed to, to set captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn, and for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit, a spirit of despair. So there is an anointing that is to something, and Isaiah knew this. And as we're going to read in a moment, Jesus opens the scroll in the temple and begins to read that very passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 4. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says. And every eye is fastened on him. And he reads this passage. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. We're going to read it in a moment. So I want to talk about the anointing because there is such a, there's so much turbulence. We were some leaders from different churches yesterday and we got aboard and we said, what if we were to describe the church families, the different congregations that we are in leading in in some, some way, shape or form, if you could describe in one word, where is the church at? We had a doctor in the room and Mike Stevens um, he, he interviewed Mike as a patient, as a doctor, and he had a stethoscope, and he took all the vital signs, asking how Mike could see, and his hearing, and his taste, and his body, and his reflexes in front of us all, and then he said, we're, we're doing a checkup to see of the life of the body, and I think sometimes it's important that we do that as a church. Where are the vital signs? Are we alive? Are we seeing properly? Are we in a good place of health? And when I look, and I, just coming back from England, just, we did, Fee and I had to go and do a funeral, and we had to drive, you know, five hours up to the other, the top part of England, which England driving five hours is like driving 15 hours in America, because you're going through old villages and towns and roundabouts and stops and getting stuck behind tractors in fields, and I mean, it's just, it just, it's, it's, it's exhausting, it's not like getting on a highway and hitting cruise control and just arriving three streets later, but it's 200 miles. We love America. But we went to do a funeral of a, of a dear friend of mine, and many of you know him. His name is Mike Godward. But as I was there, feeling the, the stories and the testimonies of, of, of children that have actually committed suicide, teenagers, Hanging themselves. This is it's like what on earth is going on in godly families? Mental illness, anxiety through the roof, stress, pain, loss. But not just in the world, but in the church. And there is not one ounce of condemnation that I want anyone to feel that I'm projecting today because that's not my heart at all. But it's to say, okay, church, what is the answer? Because surely... That is why we're here on the planet, because he's anointed us to something, to set captives free. So we must know we have the power. We must know that we have the authority, that we have that anointing. As we took this journey to go and do this funeral Fee and I borrowed a car, Fee's parents' car, and we, had, we drove this like five, five and a half hours 
And as we were about to leave, news was breaking. You may have seen it on the news that England was running out of petrol. We call it gas. They call it petroleum. British Petroleum, BP, that the country was running out. So like what happened here with milk and toilet paper, suddenly everybody ran, went to the, got their cars, and they went to the petrol stations, and the line started backing up sometimes for over a mile, trying to get enough gas so that they could get through the week, so they get to get to work. And then one by one, you started to see no more fuel, no more fuel. And so we had enough to get all the way up there, and then we stayed the night, and then we had to come back the next day. And as we were leaving, we were like, okay, every petrol station is saying no more fuel, or there's such, such a long line, it would take so much time for us to... Just to sit in line, we didn't have time. We had to get back to Bath, where we were staying. And I said, no problem. It'll be on the, once we get on the highway, they'll be servicing the highway, and there'll be lots of gas. Well, as we got on the highway, and we started to drive hour after hour, and the, the fuel gauge is going down, we realized, actually, one by one, it would say, no more fuel. No more fuel. Then we thought, maybe it would have been better if we had stayed in line. Because now, it's not just lines, it's just empty. There's empty, just empty, after empty, after empty. And then I started to look at the mileage and how many miles we had left till empty, which at that time was about 90 miles, but we still had like 150 miles to go. And, you know, I'm not a panicky guy. I'm pretty, I can handle a lot of stress. I'm like, this is cool. It doesn't matter. It will figure it out. And I kept talking and people were like, are you worried? No, I'm not worried. And then Fee starts to pray. You know, she's praying in tongues. And, you know, the, Fee's a faith woman. So she's, I'm just like, really, I'm, part of my coolness is attributed to her and her faith. I know it'll be okay, but I don't want to really know that. So I'm just like, it's cool. It'll, it'll be fine. Until we drop down to 80 miles and then 70 miles and then 60 miles and it's like till empty. And then I started to get a little bit concerned. The reason why is because I was preaching at the church the following morning. It's now Saturday night. This isn't our car. And we fly back to the States on Monday morning. So I thought, okay, strategically, worst thing can happen. I'm not going to actually run out of petrol. I'm going like, to just come to a halt. I'll pull off and we'll go somewhere and we will get an Uber back. But then what do I do with the car? It's stuck. And these parents don't drive anymore, and they're in their 90s. I can't say, sorry, your car is in another city 100 miles away. So I've got this bit of predicament, and I thought, I'll come off the highway, and we'll go into a little town somewhere, which maybe no one's really heard of, and I'll find a petrol station there. So that's what we did. And when we got there, I could see the sign saying SO, and I thought, yes, there, there it is. And when we pulled up, it said, no more fuel. Well, now we've been taking 15 minutes coming off the highway, and so I'm starting to worry a little bit. And so I started to drive, and I didn't really know where I was going, didn't know the city, didn't know the town, and I thought, there must be someone, Holy Spirit, just lead us. And suddenly, they came like a mire with a big supermarket and attached to the supermarket was a petrol station. And I thought, great. And there was a line and we joined the line and we inched forward and inched forward. And then we noticed that cars were coming back and I could see in their faces they were driving slowly. And as they were driving, I could see into their face that they just looked disappointed, discouraged and hopeless. And I'm looking, I said, this doesn't look good. I said, Maybe we can just jump out of the car and go and see. So Fee jumps out of the car and she goes, walks down and she comes back and she says, there's no more fuel. 
There's a big sign, no more fuel. And one by one, people were turning back, turning back. And as we stood there in this line, watching people's faces, you could just see hopeless people's faces. Young people, old people, mums with kids in the car, looking at their, their fuel gauge. What, what will happen now? And I thought, what are we going to do? Do we book into a hotel? That's not why we went to England. And something as I turned around and joined this line of people who were turning back. Everyone say turning back. I felt I'm in this dirge now of hopelessness. A line of cars not even knowing where to go next. And I didn't know where I was going to go. And something inside of us, Fee prayed, she said, Lord, I ask that you will give us a tank of gas right now. And I said, that's it. We're coming out of the line. And I pulled out the line and I accelerated and went into the parking lot of like the equivalent of a Maya. And we drove all the way to the back. Don't know this city at all. Don't know where we are. And there was two people in a car wash, these two guys. And we wound down the window. I said, sir, could you please tell me where I can get to gas? He smiled. He said, absolutely. He said, go around the back of the gas station. And there's a pump that is open. And there is gas there. Thank you. So we drove around, pulled up. There's no traffic. There's no one there. But we can still see the lines of traffic pulling away. And it was like too good to be true. There was, no one, there was no one even at the pump, no line. So I pulled up gingerly, got out, put, the, uh, put the, uh, the, the thing in, and pulled the trigger, and gas started to flow. I'm like, come on. Yes. Thank you, Lord. He's like, I knew it. Yes. Got back in the car. And then we drove back to the line of people where we just came from who were looking hopeless, disappointed, discouraged. And we pulled up next to them. And we said, there's gas. There's fuel on the other side. And people were like, what? They wound down their windows. They're like, where? On the other side. You've got to cut through here. Go that round the back. They said, are you sure? It says no more fuel. I said, forget the sign. There's fuel there. We've just filled up. And we went to the next one. And he said, if you tell everybody, there's going to be another line. I said, I know, but this is so fun. We're giving hope. We're making people smile. So I went to the next one. And now people are turning around from turning around and turning around again. And they're, they're creating a queue and a line. And they're getting, they're getting excited. And there's this traffic is now what? There's, there's fuel. And people are like, what's going on? Because everybody follows everybody into a place of complete hopelessness until somebody says, there is fuel. There is fuel. And church, I want to tell you, there is the Holy Spirit that if we have access to. And John chapter 7 says this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow from within. So if we're thirsty, where do we drink from? We drink from within. And this morning, I, I'm going to finish in just a moment. I'm going to ask Steph to come back and just minister to us and allow us today to get refueled, to stand in his presence and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh because his fuel never runs out. And there is a world that is hopeless. There is a world that desperately need answers. And the church has it. And it's the fire that never goes out. It's the fuel 
that we can never exhaust, and it's the Holy Spirit inside of us. And when other people are turning around, when the world is turning back, we can say, no, 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 don't turn back. Follow me. Let me take you to a place where there's fuel. Let me take you to the promised Holy Spirit. The day we left, I was running errands, trying to get to the airport and trying to pack. And it's, you know, there's always so many things to do when you're about to leave town. And I just pulled up outside of our house and I saw a man walking along the street. And I looked at him and I thought, I kind of recognize him. And uh, then I looked again, I thought, maybe not. And then he was walking his dog. I thought, I recognize that dog. And the reason I recognize the dog is from our back window, we can see into the neighbor's backyard and I recognize the dog. And I thought, you know, everybody talks about reaching their neighbors, especially in England. And I just thought, we really do a bad job in our family at reaching our neighbors. I don't even know our neighbors' names, you know? Just terrible. I know it's bad. I mean, I think his name's Rick. But I'm like, hey, Rick, but this is the other neighbor. This guy, I've never ever talked to him. Anyway, so he's walking along. And I, so I thought, I'll time it so I'll open the door when, I'm, when he's just passing the car. Because then I can talk to him. So I did it. I opened the door. I said, hey, good morning, sir. And he went, morning. I thought, that's why I don't talk to my neighbors. <laughs> and um, I said, how are you, sir? He said, good. I said, do you live at the back? Does your backyard back onto ours? He said, uh, yeah. I said, okay. Like, glad we had this chat. Like, this is going to be awkward, weird. Like, so I, I just thought, okay, right. I'm going to be kind. And so I said, well, my name's Dan. I put up my hand and I said, nice to meet you. What's your name? He said, Mike. I said, great. And what's your dog's name, Mike? So he told me the dog's name and I said, good. Okay. So I thought I'll make conversation. So I said, hey, I I, I noticed the tree that is in your backyard that is really big and beautiful tree. It's dying. And uh, the other one had died. He had to cut it down. I said, it was so sad. I said, I'm so sad that... You're, that tree is dying and because it's the second one that's died. And he went, yeah. And his lips started to quiver. And I thought, okay, it's just a tree, dude. Just like, it's okay. So I'm looking in his eyes thinking, what, what's going on here? He said, uh, I said, do, do you need help? Do you want, uh, maybe I've got someone who could maybe help cut it down. He said, I can't cut it down. I said, okay, all right. And it's now, he's just about to burst. So I took a step back. Like, I don't know this guy. Why is he going to take a swing at me? And he looked up and he went, my wife died yesterday. And I can't, I, I can't have anything taken, else taken away from me, including that tree. I burst into tears. I said, Mike, I'm so sorry. This isn't somebody who knows the law, but I just threw my arms around him. I said, Mike, I'm so, so sorry. He said, I got married late in life. My wife was everything to me. She'd just been in hospice and she died. I talked to him for a bit and comforted him as best way I could. And I walked back into the house ready to leave for the airport. And I thought, wow, the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he's anointed us to comfort those who mourn for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil instead of a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Church, there is a world 
out there that need answers. And it's not that we don't go through tough times, as John said. It's not that we don't go through pain. It's not that we don't go through loss. It's not that we don't go through suffering. It's not that we don't go through seasons of grief. The difference is we grieve not as those who have no hope because we have one. So it doesn't mean we don't grieve. We just don't grieve in the same way. And I want to take you back to this passage. It's the passage in 1 Samuel, and then we're going to pray. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm not going to preach this and get into this because I've already done it, but it's, the, it's when God speaks to the prophet Samuel, and he says, Samuel, how long will you grieve for Saul? I love that because God is not saying, stop grieving. He's asking him a diagnostic question like a physician does. How long will will you grieve? And then that is paused there. And then he says, fill your horn with oil. This is God, the God of all creation, speaking to a prophet. And he says, how long will you grieve? Number one. Number two, fill your horn with oil. Now, we, we, we looked at that. To, to get a horn, an animal had to die. So there's a sacrifice involved. And following sacrifice comes the anointing. So how long will you grieve? Fill your home with oil, number two. And, 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 then, and then the anointing is going to come. And then, then the third thing is, then be on your way. How long will you grieve? Fill your home with oil and be on your way. And be on your way. And be on your way. In other words, yes, you suffer. See, grief is the body's natural response to loss. And we can't skip that process. It's really important that we don't. But we go through the grieving process. But then after a sacrifice, there comes a fresh anointing. Samuel was carrying the anointing. He was actually carrying somebody else's anointing. And he went to Jesse's house and the Holy Spirit said, I'll indicate the one that I have chosen. And he went through all seven sons and he said, is there another? And, and Jesse says, well, there's one more. His name's David, but he's, in the, he's a shepherd boy. And they said, bring him. I'm not going to sit down until he gets here. And he brings Jesse in and he, and he lifts the horn of oil over David's head. And the anointing, the heat, the glory that comes off David melts the wax that holds the oil inside the horn and the oil began to flow and from that day the spirit of the Lord came upon David with power. From that day the spirit of the Lord came upon David with power. Turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at this together. Luke chapter 4. I just really got one thing I just want to nail today and I want, us to, I want us to get this because this will help us be on our way. This will help us put feet to help us to walk out of the very thing that you're facing. And people in this room, people in the church, the ecclesia, one of the worst things that we can do is allow shame to come upon us that we feel shame that we're not doing great. Or we feel ashamed because we're struggling with anxiety. Or we're feeling shame because we're dealing with depression. Or we're feeling shame because we're feeling of loss. Or we, we, we feel shame because we feel off-center, off-kilter. And I want to declare in this room today, if that's you, shame 
off you in Jesus' name. One of the things that dealt with on the cross, if you read it in Isaiah chapter 61, for our shame, we got a double portion. For our shame, God has taken away our shame. There is no more shame. Shame off you. The enemy wants to put shame on you. This is why I want to talk about confronting the spirit of accusation because where there's such power in words, there's so much power. When words, when words leave your mouth, they have creative power. And some people have had words spoken to them on them. They're stuck. They're stuck because of words and they're words of death. And I want to teach from the word of God how to unstick those things and teach us, be careful what you say and be careful what you hear. Be careful what you hear that you don't align and agree with the spirit of accusation because it will stunt you. It will cause you to get stuck. I was sitting with uh, John Hooker this morning. Are they, are they, they've had to go back to St. Louis. Did they go? And I, I, said, I said, the only thing that is, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, read it as I'm, the only place left that is 100% private is our mind. The only, see, every, everything has a digital footprint right now. Everything is being recorded. Emails are recorded. Texts are recorded. What, what we, uh, our screens are recorded. You know, Siri is listening. There's cameras everywhere. There's rings. There's, you know, there's hidden cameras. There's everything is being recorded. But there's one thing that is 100% private that cannot be tracked or traced, and it's our mind. The minute it comes out of our mouth, it's being recorded. Somebody else heard it. And life and death are in the power of tongue. There's creativity in the power of what we say. But our thoughts, whew, our thoughts. You can have God thoughts. My favorite thing to do in a day is to think. You can lead someone to knowledge, but you can't make them think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is why we need to think the word. We need to be careful that, we're not that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and prove what God's will is, his perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will, but not conform to the patterns of this world. But sometimes if we just fill our minds with, 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 with stuff and, and the news and this person's opinion and that opinion and social media and, and Facebook and, and Instagram and, and TikTok and Twitter and all these other, suddenly and we, we just, this, we're starting to program the way we think. And we, we, we can't combat it because we're not thinking like God, but we have the mind of Christ. So I want to encourage you, I wasn't planning to say this, protect your mind. Protect what goes in. Protect what you think about. That which is pure and lovely and of a good report. That's why the worst thing can happen is where we receive an accusation against another brother or sister because we don't have any armor on. And then when they speak these words and they hit us, it's like, oh, should I take that? That was from a brother or a sister. And I want to help us combat that spirit of accusation to be careful what you say, that we don't align ourselves with the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. You know, the devil is organized. Legions. That's why Paul says, do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant and sometimes we can just be ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not aware. I don't want to talk about the devil. I want to talk about Jesus. But listen, Paul says, don't be ignorant. And if Paul says, don't be ignorant, then let's not be ignorant of the way of Satan's schemes. And one of the things he does is he's trying to bring division, tries to bring divide, tries to scatter the saints. And it needs someone to say, stop it. We're not going to have it. Not in this house. 
And one of the wonderful things about this, this, this church family, which I've always loved, this is not a gospel church. And people who come into the house from the outside, if they need, a, they need to come and hit, enhance the sound of this house, but not change it. And it keeps healthy, strong church. One of the, we looked at this, one of the, key, one of the big things we looked at yesterday with leaders from three different congregations, we looked at this, that one, that, 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 that we brought everything down from a whole morning of writing on a board to two things, faith and fear. That we have faith in God. And from that comes our identity. And from identity comes intimacy. On this side, there's fear. And from fear comes idolatry and isolation. Intimacy, close with the Lord. Isolation, scattered. You know, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate people. I'm hurt. I can't trust people. I, don't, I, love, I love God, but I don't trust his people. I, can't, I love Jesus, but I don't, want to go to ch- I don't want to be a part of a church. That's, that's, you can't do that because the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. When Jesus said that, he was talking about himself. Well, guess what? He's the head and we're the body. So the spirit of the Lord, the anointing is upon the body, which is fitly joined together. With every jo- so there's enough in the instruction manual to, be, to know how to function under the direction of the head, which is Christ. This is simple stuff, I know, church, but honestly, sometimes it's the simple things where the enemy gets in. I think, how did that happen? So Luke chapter 4, let's go there. And then we're going to pray. Oh, yeah, we're going to pray right now. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned, to the, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Everyone say, led by the Spirit. He was, oh, okay, I've gone. I, okay, go back up to uh, chapter 3, sorry. Chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was too. And as he was praying, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove in bodily form. He descended like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and I am well pleased. Huh. Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit is not a dove, but the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove. And when Jesus came up out of the water, a voice came from heaven like the descending of a dove and said, this is my son and I am well pleased. That's a truth. Jesus, John the Baptist had just declared, this is the Messiah. He was the forerunner of the Christ. So there's a voice from John the Baptist. There's a voice. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. There's a voice from heaven. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Then Jesus comes up out of the water, full of the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 1, and returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Right, so here's the third voice. The first voice, third voice is from the devil. This is where I want to just leave it and park this today. When there is an anointing that comes upon us, that we become an immediate threat to the devil, and therefore you should think it not strange. Somehow people have said to me, uh, sometimes I hear people talking about, oh, they're under attack from the devil. I never get attacked by the devil. I think, could it be that you're not taking any territory? A farmer goes out to sow his seed, which is the word of God, right? And it falls on different parts of soil. And watch this. Jesus says this. And then the enemy came because of the word. 
The enemy came because of the word. The enemy came because of the word. The enemy came why? So the word attracts attack. The enemy came because of the word. The enemy came because of the word. So when, the, when we start using the word, think it not strange, Peter says, when you face the fiery darts of the enemy. And see, this is so often when the church backs down. Oh, this, I'm under attack. I, oh, I don't like this. I, I, I wasn't under attack before. Uh, John Washko said this. Is John in the room? He said this yesterday. He said, there's only two reasons why we lay down our sword and we lay down our shield. Number one is if we quit. And number two is if we have to surrender. So, so everybody say sword. I'm jumping. I know I'm jumping. Everyone say shield. Do you know there's an attack on the word of God right now? Do you know there's an attack? Is, is it really the word of God? Or is it just, uh, it's just some old letters? A famous person, world-renowned preacher said this recently, and I quote, I'm not going to say who it is. Um, he said, the church will become more and more irrelevant if it continues to quote books, letters from books that were written 2,000 years ago as, it's, as their best defense. I read um, in a church in the UK, um, the vision statement last week with some leaders saying, what do you think of this? And their vision statement is, or their, their, their belief system, their belief, a statement of belief, statement of faith was, the word of God is one of the sources that we use. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> watch this. this, is, this uh, God gave me this while I was in England. And I thought, oh, I've got to share this with you. If Ephesians 6 says this, take up the sword of the Spirit, that which is the, it's the Word of God. Okay, take up the sword, which is the Word of God. So the sword is the Word of God. So if you question, if we question the Bible, what we're actually doing is doing this. It's not real? It's not? Oh, it's not sharp. It's not pap. Okay, right. Okay, so just put it down. You can use it. It's helpful. I mean, but it's just one of the many things. Don't you think the enemy's going, <laughs> they bought it. They just put down the only weapon they had. I think I'll keep going. So the devil says, okay, um, with that, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, so in order to have faith, we need the word of God, right? So the shield of faith, the devil thought, I can, get them to, I can get them to question the sword. It's just like a pretend sword. It's not really sharp. It's not really alive. I just think I'll try it with their shield. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Take up the shield of faith, which is part of our armor. And the devil starts to get us to question the word of God, which is how we get faith. So we put that down too. Now we're like, oh, yes, we're so free. We're just experiencing kind of just a new way of doing church. Oh, what was that? What do, do we have any defenses? Well, no, it doesn't matter. You're not really under attack anymore because you're not taking any ground. But you put down your sword and you put down your shield. You have no weaponry. 
Too much? Okay. I'm done. I'm really, I really am done. Ready? Whew. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the desert. Hang on a second. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and immediately he's then led in the anointing to the desert to be tempted by the devil. What? And as I was pondering this this morning, I thought of every time that I could think of without studying that the Spirit of the Lord came upon someone and when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, what happens next? And the oil was poured over David and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord was upon David. And then his dad says, hey, could you take cheese and crackers to your brothers on the front line? And when he got there, he took down Goliath. So, Ha! When we get the anointing, there's suddenly an opposition. Jesus himself comes up out of the water, a dove descended and says, this is my son. He's been anointed. The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes and immediately he goes to be tempted in the wilderness, in the desert. But but it doesn't matter. Why? Because he's full of the Spirit. Ezekiel 37 And the hand of the Lord was upon me and he took me to a valley of dry bones and they were very dry and he walked me back and forth through this valley and he says, son of man, can these bones live? And he says, I don't know, Lord, only you know. Stop it. I've called you to do it. You speak to the bones, you prophesy to them and sinews will come upon them and they will stand as a vast army. So when the spirit of the Lord comes upon us, it's to something. Isaiah 61. He's anointed us to something. He's anointed us to something, to make dead things come back to life. Slain things. See, it was an army that was slain, the people of Israel. It says they were a slain army. This was a fighting unit. They'd been taken out. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Ezekiel and says, Speak to them, prophesy to them, that they may stand up as a vast army. And honestly, church, I, I just feel like we, we can't just keep hitting replay on that story. Once the army has stood to their feet, now what? Be on your way. Be on your way. What is it? Let's set captives free. Because they're there. And while we're arguing over silly things, disputable matters. We talked about this yesterday. The Bible says avoid disputable matters. Because you know the end in our arguments and ruin those who listen. If there's disputable arguments, don't divide over them. Do, master this, avoidant. I'll avoid it. It's a disputable matter. Don't find your identity in what you disagree with. Agree with God. Agree with his word. Love everybody. Love people deeply. Sort it out. Don't let the enemy pick you off. Don't stay isolated. Be careful what is, what, where there's, if, there, if there's idolatry in your life, deal with it. Idolatry is anything or anyone that replaces God at your core. Anything. Is there idolatry in my heart? If there is, let you put it to death and allow the spirit of the Lord to come upon us. And I'll end, I promise you, right now. In fact, let's all stand just to make sure I do. <laughs> so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, to run to the Jordan and was led into the, de- into the desert And there he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and he ate nothing. And the devil said to him, and the devil said to him, when God speaks, don't be surprised when the enemy tries to. And that's where we need our sword. And Jesus says, it is written. It is written. And he uses the sword of the spirit. And then he he says this, 
in Galilee, the power of the Spirit was upon him and good news spread throughout the countryside. And he taught in the synagogues. And then he said this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. You know we have good news. We have good news. Don't come under the spirit of heaviness. Everything's going terrible. Oh yeah, did you hear this person? This happened to this person. This happened to this person. This person died. I mean, I, I left the, the leaders meeting yesterday. I hadn't got to the end of the driveway at Dr. Vien's house. And there were two suicide attempts. One of them happened. Before I got to the end of the driveway, some of you know I have rental houses and I rent them out and we use that as a source of income. And one of the tenants called me yesterday and I hadn't gone and called him back. And I called him back and said, Mike, are you okay? He said, No, my brother's just killed himself. This is an unsafe man. I'm like, What? He said, I'm sorry I haven't paid my rent. I said, Mike, I don't care about your rent. What happened? He said, I can't talk right now. I got to go to Chicago. The coroner's waiting. This is the world that we're living in. There is, a, there is a demonic attack. We need the Spirit of God like never before. And He's upon us. And He's anointed us. But church, we need to recognize that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us and we go out, that we're going into war. But we also need to recognize that the war, war has already been won. He says, go. I've, he says to Joshua, I've given you the land. Yes. Now take it. Amen. But hang on, I thought you'd given it to me. Yes, there's giants in the land. Well, no, that doesn't sound like you gave it to me. But that word given is not like a gift. It's an assignment. It's like a teacher giving an assignment. Not giving a gift at Christmas, but giving an assignment. It's an assignment. I've given you the land. I've given you this earth. Now take it. And if you're praying, Lord, just beam us out. Wait for the mothership to come to take us away from this horrible earth. I think we might be surprised when God actually said, I'm not coming back until it's been changed. Because the bride made herself ready. The army drawn for battle. The body fitly joined together. The army ready. The vine that is fruitful. Church, it's us. All creation, Romans says, is waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. To be revealed across the earth. So just put your hands up like this. Put them up like sails. And we're going to ask the Holy Ghost to come and fall in this place. That we will get, we will get a dose of the ghost today. I'm going to ask Steph and musicians, you can play, but Steph, if you just minister to us, I just want you to minister. And the Holy Spirit's going to fill this place. And if you've never, if you've never encountered the, the Holy Spirit, you're going to today, if you'd like to. Jesus says, which of you fathers, though you're evil, if a son asks him for a fish, would give him a stone instead? How much more, watch this, will, the, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Don't just say, God, I'm asking you, Father. 
I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to come in this, in this place to fall fresh. For fall fresh. Some of you have become so sin conscious. It's a lie of the enemy that every time you close your eyes, you're aware of your sin. God wants you to be God conscious, not sin conscious. That's the power of the cross. Just forgive yourself. Say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Just repent right now. Just say, please forgive me. You don't need a wail. You don't need to do penance. You don't need to kneel on the altar and weep and cry and beat your bodies and wear sackcloth. Just say, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Come, Holy Spirit, come and fill me afresh. Come here and fill me afresh. Every part of my discouragement, let it go. My disappointment, let it go. Anxiety, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go.